1: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about innovations and the overlap between MarTech and AdTech. Joining us is Shane Ostry, who is the CEO of Silicon Valley Consulting which is an ad tech and martech consultancy that builds tools for marketers, niche ad platforms, and marketing agencies to help them understand how machine learning currently works in advertising platforms like Facebook and Reddit and Twitter and all the ones that you've heard of. Yesterday, Shane and I talked about the future of ads after the iOS 14.5 update, and today we're going to continue the conversation talking about performance marketing in today's influencer world. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Shane Ostrie, CEO of Silicon Valley Consulting. Shane, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks, glad to be back here again.
1: Excited to have you back on the show. Excited to pick up where we left off, which was talking about some of the changes in marketers' access to data. There's the 14.5 update, which means that consumers are gonna be opting out of being tracked. And there's also the large platforms abandoning the third-party cookie, And in my theory is that they want to hold on to their first-party data so people come to them for advertising instead of it being spread around the world. And it puts us in an interesting spot where people that have access to first-party data are going to be the only options in town. Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon have the largest repositories of first-party data and that you can target broadly across those platforms, but you can also target very niche platforms that are creator and influencer-focused content. So talk to me about where you think we are in kind of the life cycle of advertising and targeting. Is this something that's happened before? What's your take on the shift that we're going through?
2: Well, it's actually pretty much similar to the financial industry where there are actually cycles. The cycles may have slight differences, but it's a cycle nonetheless. Before in the ad tech world, we were centralized. These we certain companies who control TV or radio, different platforms. Now in the platform of web, at first we were having brokers broker deals for advertisers and platforms, and then it moved to more centralized locations like Facebook and Google. And now we're kind of breaking away to work with niche platforms again, which is amazing. But after maybe a few years, we will end up in a centralized location. And who rules at that point? We're not too sure yet, but it's definitely interesting to see.
1: I think that the comparison to the television industry is interesting, where I think of what's happening is kind of like the old TV networks. There was only five or seven networks. And so if you wanted television advertisers, you had to go to those networks. And then cable happened and there was all of a sudden hundreds and thousands of channels that you can buy ads from and individual shows and the targeting got a little richer. And then what ended up happening is there were so many options that we ended up buying broadly across larger networks that were consolidating all of this. So it seems like there is some sort of cyclical nature in advertising I think the large platforms are trying to consolidate power. And what that is doing is giving some credibility to the more niche platforms. Now I can go, using TV as an example, I don't have to buy from ABC. I can buy ESPN specifically if I want sports, right? And now we're seeing kind of a similar thing where you could target more granularly by buying first-party data, but it's hard to aggregate all that stuff. So Talk to me about performance marketing when you're actually trying to drive clicks, direct response results in today's disaggregated influencer and creator focused world.
2: Traditionally, with influencer marketing, I've been doing it ever since 2015. But as it became more popularized after 2018, basically, we have seen it be integrated a lot more into enterprise companies instead of just guerrilla marketing by smaller companies. You'll see enterprise companies actually put this into their one-year plan. However, they put it underneath the brand awareness budget. It's not underneath the performance marketing budget. And that's the issue. Because creators and influencer marketing, it's more powerful than we realize. And if you look back at the beginning of the internet, we did the same exact thing where we had platforms, we had opportunities to advertise and show users. And we would just charge on, we'll think of it as a brand awareness and I charge me on the cost per view and not care about the ROI. But as we know, yes, brand awareness is important for the LTV, along LTV. However, with performance marketing, we do need to see immediate returns. And that's why performance marketing is a whole budget by itself within most enterprises. So now that influencer marketing is now mainstream, the question is, hey, why is it only in brand awareness? Why can it also be performance marketing? And that's something that's actually being worked on by my team and I. And we're constantly working to see, hey, what brands and what creators can we connect so they can have the most synergetic relationship?
1: To me, it's an ad tracking issue that's the problem here. We say, hey, influencer marketing, it's a awareness-driving campaign because they're on Instagram and they post a photo of whatever product we have, and we can't track whether that person comes in. Maybe there's a promo code or vanity URL, but you're only capturing... A small percentage of the people that are actually exposed to the ad that come to your website and then redeem that code. So it's really hard to track. So it must be just good for awareness. It's not driving direct response results if we can't track it. When we get into the creator world, and it's something that I struggle with and I think the podcast industry struggles with as well, now, all of a sudden, we have different challenges. It's not just I'm in this walled garden of a platform. I'm not on Instagram, so there is no tracking. It's I'm in a different medium. Somebody is listening to this podcast. I get limited amount of data, only an IP address when they download the podcast. But we're starting to see the rise of ad tech that enables us to understand when somebody listens to a podcast, for example, did they get to a website? Did they perform a specific interaction? So. Is it that audio content like podcasts, influencer campaigns, niche websites are actually just good for awareness or is it a tracking problem, which is why they end up in the awareness campaign bucket?
2: It's definitely due to a tracking problem. If they see that, hey, there's eyeballs there, there's actually people paying attention to the advertisement... They're going to integrate it into their marketing plan, but if they can't attribute the results immediately, then just put in their brand awareness budget.
1: Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. So what's the way to start understanding what the true impact of influencer marketing is?
2: Well, if you want to understand the true impact of influencer marketing, you could take two approaches to it. If you're looking at it from a brand awareness aspect, you may want to start interviewing more of your customers and seeing, hey, did this customer come to us from these approaches of influencers working with us? And maybe you won't be able to nitpick which influencer brought that customer, but you at least know that those customers came from that strategy. Now, if you want to actually track the ROI of influencer marketing and how much money is bringing in this quarter, then you need to start thinking, hey, let's use tools that exist in this world to actually track the ROI of a direct campaign we have with an influencer.
1: I think that there's a question here of what the goal of the campaign is. And to me, this gets out of influencer or audio campaigns or the creator medium. And it goes into just general marketing philosophy and strategy. If you are trying to build awareness, you can use influencers to build awareness. Just have them hold up your product. They don't even have to talk about it. If you're trying to drive direct response, you can use influencers to drive direct response. You can get them to talk about the value, talk about an offer, talk about a sale, give a promo code. The devil is in the details when you're using somebody else's audience and the credibility that they've built up, whether it's a podcaster, a blogger, a YouTuber, an Instagrammer, a TikToker. The goal here is what really matters, is what you're trying to accomplish, and you have to align the campaign to achieve those objectives. So when we talk about the ad tech and tracking, it really depends if you're trying to do direct response or not. So where have you seen companies be successful doing direct response? Are there any campaign strategies, any specific platforms? Is Reddit better than TikTok, which is better than Instagram? Where are the cool kids hanging out these days?
2: When it comes to actually targeting people with influencer marketing and specifically doing direct response, it only falls upon two sides of the spectrum. Some companies follow their old tactics of advertising heavily in the product where the promoter, you can tell the promoter is being paid to push it to an abnormal level of obsession, which you wouldn't normally have.
1: I was paid a lot to promote this product, so I'm going to hold it up and smile because they gave me a lot of money.
2: Yes, like if you see...
1: LeBron James and Sprite.
2: That's actually a good example.
1: He's not drinking Sprite, everybody. Look at him.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Or another one where it has a consumer doing the the gaming products, now talking about financial apps. Mm -hmm. Way too out of niche. And additionally, it's too forced. The other end of the spectrum is where there's too much of a weak signal, where they're just maybe holding the product and they're not saying anything about it. And it's kind of weird in the sense that the person may look it up, their audience may look it up, but you're not talking to the person. You're supposed to use the influencer to talk about the true benefits that the audience will feel without feeling salesy.
1: Okay. So there's an integration question here. Actually, I think you mentioned two important tactics. First off, targeting. And I think that there's a couple components to targeting. First off, platform second off, niche. If I'm trying to reach younger audiences, I'm probably thinking about TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. If I'm trying to reach, you know, the old forts, the 40 year olds and up like me, I'm 40 now and I'm really feeling it. (coughs) You know, you're probably thinking about Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, right? Those are just the platforms that we tend to spend more time on. Sorry to age stereotype everyone. You also have to think about what content the influencer is creating and is what you're promoting relevant so you can actually integrate the product or service. So I've heard of a million different like influencers, sourcing platforms. Are there any ways that you recommend the marketers figure out if someone is the right fit for their brand?
2: Well, you think about it in multiple dimensions first you think about, hey, how large is their audience or how small their audience is? That may seem like a simple binary question. Hey, are they large enough? But there's actually a little bit more nuances to that where someone with a larger audience may not actually be forming on the level you want, where, hey, they have 100K actual followers, but if you post an ad with them, more than likely you only get one or two people actually go to the website versus maybe an influencer with 10K followers can actually get maybe 2,000 people to visit your website. That's one aspect of it that they should consider when deciding, hey, is this influencer the right match for my brand? And additionally, some things they should consider is like, hey, you need to look at the influencer's previous work, especially when it comes to brand sponsorship. You should see their profile specifically targeted to brand sponsorship and then compare that to their Instagram profile, for example, and see, hey, does their brand sponsorship placement seem out of character compared to the Instagram profile?
1: So I guess the last question that I have for you, and this goes back to the sort of first party data conversation that we had, when you're deciding on working with influencers and creators, as opposed to more of a traditional advertising budget with the larger platforms, how do you evaluate the potential ROI trade-offs? you mentioned before, higher click-through rates with niche audiences Larger platforms, broader targeting. How do you figure out what the right mix is for you as a marketer?
2: Well, maybe if you have a generic product like Coke and everyone's quote-unquote your audience, then you would basically maybe want to go with a bigger profile where even you just showing your product through multiple influencers multiple times may slowly over several months make somebody want to buy a Coke. Maybe in that case, you want to go with someone very generic, not very niche-focused. But if you have a product that only a core group of people like then you just focus on hey a small individual who can connect with their audience on a different level than a bigger influencer can ever do.
1: I think that that's great advice. At the end of the day, I hate to give the consulting answer here. It depends. Depends what your product is. It depends what your industry is. It depends what your marketing goals. You know what you're trying to accomplish. If you're looking for broad awareness across a large audience, if you're a consumer packaged good that is applicable to everybody, the Coca-Cola's of the world, a large scale advertising strategy might make a lot of sense. If you are a niche product, you might want to think about more influencers because you're not going to have access to that third party data to have somebody tell you this is a white man, 40 years old, who runs a podcast, that data is going to be harder to buy. So you got to go find the forum for the white dudes making podcasts.
2: Definitely. I remember I worked at a startup several years ago, earlier in my career. And basically, that was one of the problems they were trying to solve. They realized that, hey, there's a lot of people that still don't use social networks that maybe they use forums and that there's niche creators, niche platforms that host your audience and will be way more engaged than ever advertising on Facebook.
1: All right, Shane, I appreciate you walking us through some of the changes in the advertising and ad tech space. Thanks for being my guest on the show. Thanks so much. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Martech Podcast. Thanks to Shane Ostrie, the CEO of Silicon Valley Consulting for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Shane, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is the urban nerd. It's three words, the urban nerd. Or you can visit his company's website, which is siliconvalleyconsulting.io.